I'm Evan Ackerman, and welcome to Chatbot, a new podcast from IEEE Spectrum, where robotics experts interview each other about things that they find fascinating. On this episode of Chatbot, we'll be talking with Mike Dooley and Chris Jones about useful robots in the home. Mike Dooley is the CEO and co-founder of Labrador Systems, a startup that's developing an assistive robot in the form of a sort of semi-autonomous mobile table that can help people move things around their homes. Before founding Labrador, Mike led the development of Evolution Robotics' innovative floor-cleaning robots. And when Evolution was acquired by iRobot in 2012, Mike became iRobot's VP of Product and Business Development. Labrador Systems is getting ready to launch its first robot, the Labrador Retriever, in 2023. Chris Jones is the Chief Technology Officer at iRobot, which is arguably one of the most successful commercial robotics companies of all time. Chris has been at iRobot since 2005, and he spent several years as a senior investigator at iRobot Research, working on some of iRobot's more unusual and experimental projects. iRobot Ventures is one of the investors in Labrador Systems. Chris, you were doing some interesting stuff at iRobot back in the day, too, that I think a lot of people may not know how diverse iRobot's robotics projects were. I I think iRobot as a company, of course, being around since 1990 has done all sorts of things. Um, Toys, commercial robots, consumer, military, uh, industrial, all sorts of different things. But yeah, myself in particular, I spent the first, you know, eight, seven, eight years of my time at iRobot doing a lot of super fun, kind of uh, far out there research types of projects. A lot of them funded by places like DARPA, and working with some great academic collaborators and of course a whole crew of colleagues at iRobot. But yeah, some of those were ranged from, you know, completely squishy robots to robot arms to robots that could climb mountainsides to, you know, robots under the water, uh, all sorts of different fun, uh, useful, but fun, uh, of course, and really challenging, which makes it fun. Uh, different types of, of robot concepts. And those are all getting incorporated to the next generation Roomba, right? I don't know that I can comment <laughs> on that. <laughs> That's not a no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Mike, um, I want to make sure that people who aren't familiar with Labrador get a good understanding of, of what you're working on. So can you describe kind of Labrador's robot, like what it does and, and why it's important? Yeah, so Labrador, we're doing developing a robot called the Retriever, and it's really designed as an extra pair of hands for individuals um, who have some issue either with pain, uh, health issue, or injury that impacts their daily activities, particularly in the home. And so this is a robot designed to help people live more independently and to augment their abilities and, and give them some degree of autonomy back where they're, they're fighting that with the issue that they're facing. And the robot is... I think it's been, after previewing at CES, it has been called a a self-driving shelf. Um, You know, it's designed to be really a a mobile platform that's like about the size of a side table, but has the ability to carry things as large as a laundry basket or set the the dinner and plates on it, automatically navigates from place to place, Uh, it raises up to go up to countertop height when you're by the kitchen sink and lowers down when you're by your armchair and it has the ability to retrieve too. So it's, it's a different, it, it's, it's sort of, inspi- it's a cross between 
you know, robots that are used in warehousing to, um, to like furniture <laughs> mixed together to make something that's comfortable and safe for the environment, but really is, is really meant to help folks that where they have some difficulty moving themselves, this is meant to help them give that some degree of that independence back as well as extend the impact of it for caregivers. Yeah, I, I thought that was a fantastic idea when I first saw it at CES, and I'm I'm so glad that you've been able to continue working on it, and especially with some support from folks like iRobot, right? Chris, uh, iRobot is an investor in Labrador. Uh, correct, through I, iRobot Ventures, we're you know an early investor uh, in Labrador. Um, of course, where that means, and we continue to be super excited about what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, for us. Anyone who uh, you know has great ideas for how robots can help people, uh, in particular, assist uh, uh, with pe uh, assist people in their home with independent living, et cetera, I think is you know is is something we we strongly believe uh, mm -hmm. is going to be a great application for robots. And when making investments, yeah, I'll just add, you know, of course, at that earliest stage, uh, a lot of it is about the team, right? Mm -hmm. So. Mike and, and the rest of his team are super compelling, right? They, they you know, that paired with a vision uh, that's something that we believe is a great application for robots, you know, it's uh, makes it a, 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 an easy decision, right? To, to, to say there's someone we'd like to like to support. So we love seeing their progress. Yeah, me too. And we, we appreciate your support very much. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, what do you guys want to talk about, Mike? You want to, you want to. Well, I can lead off. off. Yeah. So, in full disclosure, I, at some point in my life, I was. Is it, uh, Chris? You can get. What's the official name for an iRobot employee? What's the? I forgot what they came up with. Is that iRobotier? Is it? iRobotier. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So, I I was an iRobotier in my past life and uh, uh, crossed over with Chris for a number of years and. When you and I know they've renovated the building a couple times now, but these products you mentioned or the robots you mentioned of in the beginning, a lot of them are in display in a museum. And so I think my first question to Chris was, can you think of one of those either that you worked on or maybe you didn't, but you go, man, this should have taken off or this should have been like this or either you, it should have or you wished it would have like it would have been great if one of those that's that's in there because there's a lot. <laughs> so. Yes, there are there are a lot. You're right. We have a museum, and it has been renovated in the last couple of years, Mike. So you should come back and visit and and check out the new, updated uh, museum. Um, uh, what, what, how would I answer that? There's so many things in there. Some of those, you know, I would say, you know, one that I always, you know, I have some sentimentality toward, and I think is holds some really compelling. Uh, promise, even though uh, at least to date it, it hasn't gone anywhere outside of the museum, is uh, you know Evan is related to the squishy robots I was talking about. And, you know, in my mind, and one of the key challenges in unlocking future value in robots, and in particular in in you know autonomous robots, for example, in the home, is manipulation, is physical manipulation of the environment in the home. And Mike and Labrador are doing a little bit of this, right, by being able to maneuver and, and pick up, carry, drop off uh, some things around the home. But the idea of, of a robot that's able to physically pick up, grasp objects, pick them up off the floor, off a counter, open or close doors, you know, all of those things is it's kind of the holy grail, right? If you can cost effectively and robustly do that, 
um, uh, in the home, there, there's all sorts of great applications for that. And one of the, the those research projects that's in the museum was actually something called the jamming gripper. Mike, I don't know if you you remember seeing that at all, but this takes me back. And uh, you know, you know, Evan, actually, I'm sure there's some IEEE stories and stuff back in the day from this. But uh, but this was an idea of a very compliant, like it's a soft manipulator. It's not a hand. It's actually very close to imagining a uh, a very soft membrane that's filled with coffee grounds. So imagine a, a bag of, of coffee, right? It's very soft and compliant, but like vacuum packed coffee, you pull a vacuum on that bag, it turns rigid in the shape that it was in. It's like a brick, which is a great concept for thinking about robot manipulation. That's one idea, you know, we've, we had spent some research time with, with uh, some folks in academia, had built a huge number of prototypes and I still feel yeah. Like there's something there. There's a really interesting yeah. concept there that can help with that more general purpose manipulation of objects in the home. So, Mike, if you want to talk to us about uh, licensing, maybe we can do that. Yeah, no, I did, with all I your should, applications. <laughs> that's what you should add. It would probably increase your budget dramatically, but you should add like live demonstrations to the museum. Like, see if you can have projects to get people to like bring some of those back. Because I, 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 I'm sure I saw it. I never knew it was doing that. I, I mean, maybe if. You know, we can continue this. Uh, there might be a little bit of a thread to continue that that question. It's yeah. a, the first one that came to my mind, Mike, when I was talking and thinking about what to ask. And it's something I, you know, I have a lot of admiration and respect for you and how you you do your job, which is you're super good at engaging and listening to users, mm -hmm. kind of in their context, to understand what their problems are, such that you can best kind of articulate or define or ideate things that. Um, could help them address problems that they encounter in their everyday life. And that then allows you kind of a, as a leader, right, to use that to motivate quick prototype development to get the next level of testing or validation of what if this, right? And those things may or may not involve duct tape, right? It yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> involves some very crude things that are trying to elicit kind of that, that response or feedback from a user in terms of, is this something that would be valuable to you in overcoming right. some challenges that, that I've observed you having in your, in your, let's say in your home environment. Right. So I'm curious, you know, Mike, how do you think about that process and how that translates into shaping a product design or the identification of an opportunity? You know, I'm curious, maybe what you've learned through Labrador. I know you spent a lot of time in people's yeah. homes to do yeah. exactly that. So I'm curious, you know, how do you, how do you conduct that work? What are you looking for? How does that guide yeah. your development process? The word that you talk about is customer empathy. Is are you feeling their pain? You know, are you are you understanding their need, and how are you connecting with it? And my the, where they my undergrads in psychology, so I always was interested in what makes people think the way they do. I remember I robot study going into a home, and we were in the last day testing with somebody, and as a, a busy mom. And we're testing this Brava Jet, sort of little robot that iRobot stills. That's you know, it's really good for space, you know, places with tight spaces for spraying and scrubbing floors, like kitchens and, and bathrooms. And the mom said, like, you know, she almost said with exhaustion, is that, you know, I said, what is it? What you know, this she says, does this do as good of a job as you could do? And and I think most people from iRobot would admit. No, can I match what the grease power, you know, like all the other, the arm, uh, the effort and everything I can put into this? Um, 
And, uh, but she says like, but at least I can, like, I can set this up, hit a button and I can go to sleep. And at least it's getting the job done. It's doing something. And it gives me my time back. And when you hear that, like people go, well, Roomba is just something that cleans for people or whatever. Like, no, Roomba gives people their time back. And having that, once you're on that channel, then you start thinking about, okay, what can we do more with the product that does that, that's hitting that sort of core thing. So, yeah, and I think having the humbleness to like, like not build a product you want, build it to the need. And then also the humbleness about where you can meet that need and where you can't, like, because robotics is hard and we can't make rosy yet. Uh, and things like that. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Mike, I'm curious, did you have to make compromises like that? Is there an example you could oh. give with oh, Labrador? Geez, all the time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, Labrador, no, Labrador is perfect. It's, it's just, it, <laughs> no, um, no, I mean, we go through that all the day, all the time. I, I think on Labrador, um, you know, no, we can't do everything people want. Like, you know, you're, what you're trying to say, is it, uh, you know, I think some of the, you know, when you, there's different languages of like minimum viable product or good enough. There was somebody, somebody at Amazon used the term, I'm going to blank on it. Um, uh, it was like wonderful enough or something, or, or, or there's, there's a, they have a nicer way, lovable or yeah, lo, yeah, lovable enough or something. <laughs> and I think that that's what you have to remember is like, so on one hand, you have to be very, you have to sort of have this open heart that you want to help people. And the other point, you have to have a really tight wallet, not because you're, you're, because you just can't spend enough to meet everything that people want. And so you know, just a classic example is, you know, Labrador goes up and down a certain amount of height and people's cabinets and someone in a wheelchair, they would love it if we would go up to, you know, to the, you know, to the upper cabinets above the, um, above the kitchen sink and, or, you know, in the, or other locations. And when you look at that, like mechanically we can, but there's a, t that then creates like, there's tilt, there's product realities about um, stability and tilt testing. And so we have to fit those, like Chris knows that well with Ava, for instance, is like how heavy the base is for every inch you raise the mass above a certain amount. And so we have to make a limit. You have to say, hey, here's the envelope. We can, we're gonna do this to this, or we're going to carry this much because that's 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 as much as we could deliver with this sort of function, and then is that lovable enough? Is that an, is that rewarding enough to people? And I think that's the hard mix is that you have to do these deliveries within constraints. And I think sometimes when I'm talking to folks that either outside robotics or they're very much on the engineering side, not thinking about the product, they tend to think that you have to do everything. And it's like, that's not how product development works is you have to do that, just the critical, the, the critical first step, because then that makes this a category and then you can do the next one and the next one. I think like it, it brings to mind, like Roomba has gone through an incredible evolution of what its functions were and how it worked in its performance since the very first version and what Chris and team offer now. And so, but if they tried to do the version today back then, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been able to achieve it. And so, and others fail because they probably went to, you know, went to the wrong angle. And, yes, Evan, but. I think you, you asked if there, you know, anything that was, uh, you know, operating under constraints. I think uh, product development in general, I presume, but certainly robotics is all about constraints. Mm -hmm. It's how do you, how do you operate within those? How do you understand where those boundaries are and having to make those calls as to, how are you going to have to, how are you going to decide to constrain your solution, right? To make sure that 
it's something that's feasible for you to do, right? It's, it's, it's meeting a compelling need. It's feasible for you to do. You can robustly deliver it, you know, trying to, to get that entire equation to work means you're putting, you do have to reckon with those constraints kind of across the board to find the right, the right solve. Mike, I'm curious, you know, you do your user research, you, you have that customer empathy. Um, you've perhaps worked through some of these surprising challenges, you know, that I'm sure you've encountered uh, yeah. along the way with Labrador, you ultimately get to a point that you're able to do pilots in homes. Right. Right. You're, you're actually now this, maybe the duct tape is gone or it's at least hidden, right? It's yeah. something that looks and <laughs> yeah. feels more like a, yeah. more like a product and you're actually getting in, into some type of more extended pilot of the, of the product yeah. or, or can, you know, idea of the product in users homes. Like what are the types of things you're looking to accomplish with those pilots or what, what do you, what have you learned when you go from, all right, I've been watching this user in their home with their, those challenges. So now I'm actually leaving something yeah. in their home without me being there right yeah and expecting them to be able to use it like well what's the what's the benefit or the learnings that you you encounter in, in conducting that type of work yeah it's a weird type of experiment because and there's different schools of thought of how you do stuff like some people like want to go in and like research everything to death and be a fly on the wall and like we went through this you know, I won't say the source of it. We there was some a program we had to go through because of some of the not because of some of the funding that we're we're getting from another project. And the, the they the, the the quote in the beginning, like they put up a slide that you know, um, I think it's from Steve Jobs. I'm sure I'm going to butcher it. That like, you know, people don't know what I what they want until I show them or something. And mm -hmm. I'm, 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 I forget what that the exact words are. And they were saying, yeah, that's true for Steve Jobs. But for you, you can really talk to the customer, and they're going to tell you what they need. I, I don't believe that. They that need a faster it. horse, right? They yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they're yeah, going to exactly. tell you they need a faster horse. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm in the Steve Jobs camp and, and on, on that. Is that. And it's not because people aren't intelligent. It's just that they're not in that world of knowing what possibilities you're talking about. So I'm, I, I think you, you, there is this sort of soft skill between, okay, listen to their pain point. What is that difficulty of it? You've got a hypothesis to say, okay, out of everything you said, I think there's an overlap here. And now I want to find out, like, instead of saying, and we did that, we did that in the beginning, like we did different ways of explaining the concept. And then we, you know, the first level we did was, you know, just explain it over the phone and see what, you know, people thought of it and come and, and almost test it neutrally. Like say, Hey, here's an idea. And then, Oh, there's a, here's an idea like Roomba and here's an idea like Alexa, what do you like or, or dislike? Then we would actually build a prototype that was remote controlled and brought it in their home. And now we finally do the leave behind. And the whole thing is, it's like, how to say it? It's like, you're, you're sort of releasing it to the world and we get out of the way. The next part is that you're just, it's like letting a kid go and play soccer on their own and you're not yelling or anything. You just, you don't even watch. You just sort of let it happen. And that you're, what you're trying to do is organically look at how are people, you've created this new reality. How are people interacting with it? And what we can see is the robots, they won't do this in the future, but right now they talk on Slack. So when, when they send it to the kitchen, I, I can look up and I can see, hey, the user one just sent it to the kitchen and now they're sending it to their armchair. Yeah, they're probably having an afternoon snack. Oh, they sent it to the, you know, the laundry room. Now they sent it over to the you know, closet. They're doing the laundry. And the thing for us was just like watching like what, how fast were people adopting certain things and then what were they using it for? 
And the striking thing that's that interesting. Yeah, 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 go ahead. I was just gonna say, I mean, that's interesting because I think uh, I'm sure it's very natural uh, to put put the the product in someone's home and kind of have a have a uh, a rigid expectation of no, no, this is how you use it. Let me, no, no, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, let right, me yeah. show you how you use this. But what you're saying is, it's almost a, yeah, you're trying your best to solve their need here, but at some point you kind of leave it there. And now you're also back into that empathy mode. It's like now with this tool, how do you use it and, and see kind of what you, happens? I, I think that's, you said it in a really good way is that you've changed this variable in the experiment. You've introduced this and now you go back to just observing, just hearing what they're doing, just watching what they're doing with it, it being as inintrusive as possible, which is like, we're not there anymore. Yeah. The, the robot's logging it and we can see it, but it's just on them and we're trying to stay out of the process and see how they engage with it. Um, and then, and that's sort of like the, you know, the thing that if we, I, we've shared it before, but we were just seeing that people were using it like 90 to hundred times a month, especially after the first month It's like they, we were looking at just the steady state. Would this become a habit or routine? And then what were they using it for? So you're saying when you see that you have a kind of a data point of, of one or a small number, but you have such a tangible understanding of the impact that this seems to be having that you as an entrepreneur, right? You have that, that gives you a lot of confidence that may not be visible to yeah. whatever people that are outside the walls, just trying to look at what you're doing in the business. They see one data point, which is, is harder to grapple with, but you being that close and understanding that yeah. connection between what the product is doing and the needs that that gives you or the team a, a substantial confidence boost, right? As to, this is working. We need to scale it. Like we, we have to show yeah. that this ports to other people in their homes, et cetera, but it gives you that confidence. Yeah. And then when we take the robots away, cause we only have so many and we rotate them, like getting the guilt trip emojis, like, like two months later from people I miss my <laughs> robot when you're going to build a new one and all that and, and stuff. So um, do people name the robots. Yeah. They all, they immediately do that um, and come up with creative names for it. Um, you know, that, uh, one was called Rosie naturally, but others was like, I'm forgetting the, um, forgetting the name she called it, uh, was, uh, it was inspired by a science fiction on like an artificial AI, uh, companion and things. And it was just, uh, you know, um, uh, quite a bit of like just different angles of, cause she saw this as her assistant. She saw this as, you know, mm -hmm. like this, the, 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 you know, sort of like this, this thing. Um, but yeah, so I think that. They, they, again, for a robot, like what we, you know, you can see in the design is the classic thing at CES is to make a robot with a face and arms um, that doesn't really do anything with those, <laughs> um, but it, 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 it pretends to be humanoid or human-like. And so we went the entire other route with this. And, mm -hmm. um, and the fact that people then still relate to it that way, it's, 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 it means that we're, it's, we're not meant to be trying to be cold or dispassionate. We're just really interested in if can they get that value? Are they re, are they reacting to what the robot is doing, not to what the sort of halo that you sort of dressed it up as? You know, for, for, for yeah, for I mean, that. I, you, as you know, like with Roomba or you know Brava and things like yeah. that, it's the same thing. Like Roomba yeah. doesn't have people uh, project anthropomorphism or project that personality yeah. Yeah. onto them, but there's not that's not really uh, there. Right. In, in a strong way. So it's, 
Yeah, no, and it's weird, and it's and it's something they do with robots in a weird way that they don't, you know, people don't name their dishwasher usually, um, or, or something. And but no, you I don't have. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I did for a while. The stove got jealous, and then we had this whole thing with the refrigerator got into it. I've heard anecdotally that um, maybe this was true with Packbots. I don't know if it's true with Roombas that people want their robot back like they don't want you to replace their old robot with a new robot yeah. they want you to fix the old robot and have that same physical robot like that, it's it was that certainly you know packbot on the kind of the, the military robot side the you know for for bomb disposal and things like that you would directly get you know the, those uh technicians who you know had a damaged robot who they didn't want a new robot they wanted this one fixed uh, right, because it uh, again they anthropomorphize or they they create. There's a there is some type of a bond there, and I think that's been true with all, all of the robots. Right, it's not it, it's something about the mobility. Right, that that embodies them with some type of a uh, that people project a personality on it. So they don't have to be fancy and have you know arms and and faces necessarily for people to project that on them. So that seems to be a common trait. Um, uh, for for any mobile autonomously mobile uh, platform. Yeah, yeah. And Mike, it was interesting to hear you say that you're you're being very thoughtful about that, and so I'm wondering if Chris, you can address that a little bit too. Like I, I remember, I don't know if they do this anymore, but for a while, robots would speak to you. Um, in a, I think it was a female voice that they had if they had an issue or something, or needed to be cleaned, and and that I always found to be an interesting choice because it's sort of like the the company is now telling you, giving this robot like a, a like a human characteristic that's very explicit. And I'm wondering how like how much thought went into that, and has that changed over the years about how much you're willing to encourage people to anthropomorphize? Uh, I mean, it's a it's a good question. I mean, that's evolved, I would say, over the years from you know not so much to you know there's more of kind of a vocalization coming from the robot for certain scenarios you know i don't know it, it is a it is an important part some users that is a a primary way of interacting um I, I would say more of that type of feedback these days comes through more of kind of the the, the mobile experience through the through the app to give both the feedback additional information you know actionable next steps if there's i don't know you need to empty the dustbin or whatever it is that that's just a, a richer place to put that in a more accepted or common way for that to happen. So I don't know, I would say that's the direction things have trended, but I don't know that that's, that's not because I, I don't, I don't believe that we're not trying to, you know, humanize the robot itself. It's just more of a, of a practical place where people these days will expect. It's almost like Mike, you know, uh, was saying about the dishwasher and the stove, et cetera. If everything is trying to talk to you like that or, or kind of project its own, you know, embodiments uh, into your into your space, it, it, it could be overwhelming. So I think that's, you know, it, it's it's easier to connect people at the right place in the right time with the right information, perhaps if it's through the through the mobile experience, though. But it is that human robot interaction or that experience design is a is a nuanced and tricky one you know i'm certainly not not an expert there my, myself but it is a it's it's hard to find that right balance that right mix of what do you ask or expect of the user versus what do you assume or 
don't give them an option because you also don't want to overload them with too much information or too many options or, you know, too much, too many questions, right. As you, as you try to, to operate the product. So sometimes you do have to make, make assumptions, uh, make defaults, right. That maybe can be changed if there's really a need to, that might require more digging. And that's Mike, I was curious. That was a, a thought, a question I had for you was you have a, uh, a, a physically, a, 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 a meaningfully sized product <laughs> that's operating autonomously in someone's home, right? Roomba yes. can drive around and will right, navigate yeah. and it's a little more expected that we might, you know, bump into some things, you know, as we're yeah. trying to clean and clean up against walls or furniture and all of that. And it's small enough that that, you know, isn't, isn't an issue. How do you design for a product of the size that you're working on, right? Yeah what's the what went into the kind of the human robot interaction side of that to allow for you know people who need to use this in their home they're not technologists but they can take advantage right. of the that can take advantage of the great value right that you're trying to deliver for them but it's got to be super simple like right. how, how did you how did you think about that hri there, kind of design there's a lot wrapped into that i think the bus stop is the first part of it was how you know what's the simplest way that they can command in a metaphor like everybody can relate to armchair front door that sort of thing and so that that idea that the robot just goes to these destinations is super simplifying like people get that i think it's it's almost not a nanosecond how fast they get that and that metaphor so that was one uh, one of it and then you sort of explain the rules of the road like how the robot can go from place to place it's got these bus routes but they're elastic and that it can go around you if needed but there's all these types of interactions like okay we figured out what happens when you're coming down the hall and the robot's coming down let's say you're somebody else and they just walk towards each other there's a whole like and it's i, I know like in hospitals the robot's programmed to go to the side of the corridor there's no side in a home, you know, like that's the mm -hmm. stuff. So we, we're starting like th those are things that we still have to iron out. But like there's timeouts and there's things of like that's where we'll be, we're not doing it yet. But it'd be great to recognize that's a person, not a closed door and, or something and, you know, respond to it. But like so we started having like right now we have to tell the users, OK, it'll spin a time to make sure you're not you're there, but then it'll give up. And if you really want it to, you could tell it to go back from your app. Um, you could get out of the way if you want. Or you could stop it by doing this. We sort of, you know, and so that'll get refined as we get to the market. But those those interactions, yeah, you're right. You have this big robot that's coming down. And like one of the surprising things was like, it's not just people um, it, that we had. Uh, one of the women uh, had and the pilot had a border collie and their border collies by instinct or bred to herd sheep so it would hear the robot the robot's very quiet but she would command it it would hear the robot coming down the hall and would put its paw out to stop it and that became like its game it started hurting the robot and so it's really this weird thing this metaphor you're getting at um robots the, are pretty stubborn the robot yeah. probably just sat there for like yeah. five minutes like come on yeah <laughs> and like, and like in the, yeah and like the ai we'd love to add like we have to catch up with where you guys are at or license some of your your, your vision recognition algorithms because like, you know, we're just first, we're trying to navigate and avoid obstacles. That's what like, you know, the, the and that's where all the tech is going into in terms of the design and the tiers of like safety that we're doing. And so the, but the, you know, it's just like the, you know, what the, what the user wanted in that case is if it's the dog, can you play my voice, say, get out, you know, like or move or whatever, or, or something, go away. Um, because like she would like she she sent me a video of this is like it was happening to her too is 
you know, she would send the robot out. The dogs would get all excited and she's behind it in her wheelchair. And now the dogs are like waiting for her on the other side of the robot. The robot's wondering what to do and they're all in the hall. And so Mm -hmm. the, um, so yeah, there's this sort of complication that gets in there that you have multiple agents going on there. Maybe one more question from, from each of you guys, Mike, you want to go first? Trying to think I have one more. And, um, when you have the, the, when you have like new engineers start, you know, they're, 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 let's say they haven't worked on robots before. They might be experienced. Either they're coming out of school or they're from other industries and they're coming in. What is what is some like key thing that they that that they they learn or what's like a key like what what sort of like transformation goes on in their mind when they finally get in the zone of what it means to develop robots? And it's a really broad <laughs> question, but. There's, yeah. there's sort of a rookie no, I, thing. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, a, a, an aha moment that's, you know, common for people yeah. new to robotics. Um, I, I think it's, and this is, I think this is woven throughout this entire conversation here, which is macro level robots are actually hard. Like it, it, it it's, they're, they're difficult, uh, to kind of put the entire electromechanical software system together. Uh, it's hard to. Uh, perceive the world. If a robot's driving around the home on its own, it needs to have a pretty good understanding of kind of what's around it. You know, is something there, is something not there? The richer that understanding can be, the more adaptable or personalized it can be. But that may, uh, generating that understanding is also hard. You know, they have to be built to deal with all of those unanticipated scenarios that they're going to encounter when they're let out into the wild. So it's that, I think it's surprising to a lot of people, the, the, how long that long tail of corner cases ends up being that you have to grapple with you. If you ignore one of them, it, it, it can mean it, it, it can end the product, right? It's a, it's a long tail of things. Any one of them, ends up if it if it rears its head enough for those users they'll stop using the product because well this thing doesn't work and i this has happened like twice to me now in the year i've had it i'm kind of done with it right so you you really have to grapple with the very long long tail of corner cases when the technology hits the real world i think that's a that's a super surprising one uh for uh for people who, who are new to robotics. It's not a, it's more than a, a hardware consumer product company, you know, it, it consumer electronics company. It does, you do need to deal with those challenges of perception, mobility in the home, the chaos of, of, you know, I'm specifically you're talking about more of the home environment, not the structured, more structured environment in the, in the industrial side. And I think that's something that everyone has to go through that, that learning curve of understanding the, the, the impact that can have. Yeah. All the dogs and cats. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought, (laughs) you know, cats are going to jump on the thing or or border border collies are going to try to hurt it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to just, and you don't learn those things until you get products out there. And that's Mike, what I was asking you about pilots and what do you hope to learn or the experience there is that's, you have to, you have to take that step if you're going to start kind of figuring out what those elements are going to start looking like. It's very hard to do just intellectually yeah. or on paper or in the lab. You have to let let them out there. Um, 
So uh, that's, you know, I, I, that's a, that's a, a learning lesson there. Uh, Mike, maybe a, a similar question for you, but, yeah. uh, this is your uh, the last one, so make the, it good. The last one, it better be a good one, huh? Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a similar question for you, but maybe cut more on addressed to an entrepreneur in the robotic space. I'm curious, you know, for, for, for a robot company to succeed, there's a lot of, I'll call them ecosystem partners, right, that have yeah. to be there. Manufacturing... Yeah channel or go to market partners, uh, right. yeah. financial, you know, funding, right, right. to yeah. support a, a, a capital intensive development process. Um, and, and many more. I'm right. curious, you know, what have you learned? Or what do people need to going into a, a robotics development or, you know, looking to be a robotics entrepreneur? Like, how, how do you? What do people miss? Yeah. Like, what have you learned? What have you seen? What are the yeah. partners that are the most important? And this is not, I'm not asking for a oh, robot's an investor, you know, yeah, yeah, speak yeah. nicely <laughs> on the financial investor <laughs> no, side. Yeah, That's not yeah, what I'm after. Right, but yeah. what are you, what have you learned that you, you better not ignore, you know, this set of partners, because if one of them falls through or it doesn't work yeah. or isn't effective, it's going to be hard for all the other pieces to come together. Yeah, it's complex. I think that just like you said, robots is hard. I think, um, you know, when we first when we, we got acquired by a robot and um, uh, we we're having some of the first meetings over. Um, it's Mike from software. Um, um, this, was, this was evolution. Uh, robotics. Evolution. Yeah. So but Mike Halloran from my robot, we came to the office at, at the evolution's office and he just said, robots are hard. They're really hard. And it's like, that's point we knew there was harmony. Like we, we, we were sort of under this thing. And so for everything, what Chris is saying is that all of that is like high stakes. And so you sort of have to be, you have to be good enough on all those fronts of all those partners. And so some of it is like critical path technology, like, um, you know, depth cameras, that function is really critical to us and it's critical to work well and then cost and scale. And so, um, and so just, having being flexible about how we can deal with that and looking at that sort of chain and that like what's our how do we sort of start at one level and scale it through so you look at sort of okay what are these key enabling technologies that have to work and that's one bucket um you know that that are there uh then the partnerships on you know on the business side you know, we're in a complex ecosystem. I, I think the other rude awakening when people look at this is like, well, yeah, well, why doesn't, you know, as people get older, they have disabilities that, you know, that's what you have insurance. That's what your insurance funds. It's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, it, you know, for a lot of, unless you have specific types of insurance, like, like mm -hmm. we're partnering with um, uh, nationwide, you know, they have long-term care insurance and that's why they're working with us that, pays for these sorts of issues and things or Medicaid will get into these issues depending on somebody's need. And so I think what we're trying to understand is that's the, this is, goes back to that original question about customer empathy is that how do we adjust what we're doing that we have this vision. I want to help people like my mom where she is now and where she was 10 years ago when she was experiencing difficulties with mobility initially. And we have to stage that. We have to get through that progression. And so who are the people that we work with now that solves a pain point that can be something that they have control over that is economically viable to them? And sometimes that means adjusting a bit of what we're doing, which is because it gets, it's just this step onto the long path as we do it. Awesome. Well, thank you both again. This cool. was a great conversation. 
Yeah, thanks for having us and for hosting uh, Evan and Mike. Great to talk to you. Nice seeing you again, Chris and Evan. Same, uh, really enjoyed it. We've been talking with Chris Jones from iRobot and Mike Dooley from Labrador Systems about developing robots for the home. And thanks again to our guests for joining us. For Chatbot and IEEE Spectrum, I'm Evan Ackerman.